Hey, Generation Church, we welcome you and invite you to encounter Jesus with us. We believe that through him, we will encounter love and discover our purpose. So take a seat, lean in, and let this message fortify your faith. Close your eyes, bow your head, and uh, I'm going to pray for you. Father, in Jesus' name, God, we ask you to fill this place with your glory, with your presence, with your angels. We apply the blood of Jesus over this room, over this space, over this time, over this message. We ask you to give us the mind of Christ. Help us to be totally attentive to every word, Lord, so that we don't miss out on any of the revelation that you have for us. We, we rebuke every plan, scheme, device, and assignment of the devil against uh, our, our church, against this message today, against what God wants to bring forth today. And uh, we thank you, Lord, uh, that we're going to be uh, just totally blessed by the revelation that you're going to show us today. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. amen. All right. So today we're talking about a very advanced topic, God's love. I bet you've never heard a message about that before, have you? <clears throat> so let's, let's go to the first slide. There we go. Romans 5.8, an often quoted scripture. All of you probably are very familiar with it. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Did God demonstrate his love for you? How did he do that? He went to the cross. And he died for us. And that word love, L-O-V-E, as I'm sure you all know, is the Greek word what? Agape. Well, today you're not just going to learn that the word love is the Greek word agape. You're going to find out how it actually functions. How does this deal really work with God's love? Because there's a lot of people that, you know, they seem very mature in their faith, Everybody knows these people, and yet, deep down on the inside, they have doubts about his love. You know, look at this building here. What if they had constructed this building with no foundation? What would have happened? Right? The, the walls would collapse. The roof would cave in. It would be a mess. The love of God is the foundation of the gospel. As you know... Good old John 3.16, for God so did what? That's right. So that's the first thing. First seven words of John 3.16, for God so loved the world that, so everything before the that is his love, and everything after that is the gospel. So if the love didn't happen, then the gospel couldn't happen. The gospel sits on top of God's love, just like this building sits on top of the foundation. No love, no gospel. And that's why a lot of people won't get saved is because they think that God hates them. This message that I'm preaching to you today, I have preached it many times. I've preached it to rooms full of convicted felons who are very painfully aware that God maybe has a lot of reasons not to love them. 
And when they finally hear this message, and they finally realize, oh, he really does even love me. Well, even though this is not a message designed to get people saved, I've had a lot of people get saved after hearing this message. Because they finally say, well, I guess I'm not wasting my time. Uh, you know, going out and sharing the gospel with people, I've had people say, well, you know, there's no point in me getting saved. I said, why won't you get saved? There's no point. Why? Why is it pointless for you to get saved? Well, because I'll just, you know, as I was sharing with you this morning, why, why bother? I'm just going to sin and go to hell anyway. And they don't understand the nature of God. God is love. Amen? And so, if you ever, ever doubt his love, because we're weak and we can do things like that, think of the cross. That's the only thing you need to think of is the cross. The cross is the symbol of God's love. That's where he demonstrated. Some versions of the Bible use the word proved, if you like that better. God proves his own love for us. So that's where he did it. So does he love you? Did he prove it? All right. And so what did we have to do to qualify for this love? Nothing. So we're all pre-qualified, is that right? Might be pre-qualified for a loan, but uh, we're pre-qualified for God's love. All of us, everyone. Not only are you pre-qualified, but you're continuously qualified. So even if you are the most rotten stinker who ever lived on the face of this earth, you're still qualified. So would you be willing to agree with me that God's love is without any conditions whatsoever? All right. Unconditional. Would you stand up? And I want you to take a deep breath and I want you to shout this word, unconditional. One, two, three. Unconditional. All right, you can sit down. So if you make it all the way out to the parking lot today, hopefully you can remember this message is about God's love. If somebody asks you next Thursday, what, was, what did they talk about at church last week? God's love. And they said, well, what did they say about it? It was, all right, all right. So I don't even need to finish this message, do I? All right, next, next slide. Two slides together. Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to do what? Separate. That's the key word there. Separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. So if you are in Christ Jesus, can you ever be separated from the love of God? That's right. All right. But if you are not in Christ Jesus, and you never get in Christ Jesus, and you go to your grave not in Christ Jesus, will you be separated from the love of God? Yes. 
So don't get confused. God's love and salvation are two completely different things. Just because God loves you with all of his heart and all of his plans for you are good, you're still going to hell unless something gets done about your sin. Amen? So we're, we're here to celebrate that Jesus loves us. He died for us. We accepted him, and we're washed in the blood. We're born again, and we're filled with the Holy Ghost and saved to the othermost. Amen? So love and salvation, they're two different things. They do go together, but, you know, you can have the love and the salvation, or you can just have the love. So if, if you die and go to hell... Is God still going to love you? Yes. Have you ever thought about that? People who are in hell right now, does God love those people? Yes, he does. You see, God can't change his mind. If he loves you today, he has to love you tomorrow. For example, uh, say Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, I am the Lord, I change not. So when the devil comes up to you and says, God doesn't love you anymore, you can look at him and say, not. So, next slide, John chapter 15, verse 13. This is Jesus speaking, and he says, there's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Who did Jesus lay his life down for? Us right? We are friends of God. When we get saved, we become a friend of God, not an enemy. The Bible says before we got saved, we were God's enemies. Jesus went to the cross and died not for his friends, for his enemies. But we became friends of God. But even better than that, we became children of God. But even better than that, we became the bride of Christ. Why is that better? You see, you know, you don't own anything that your parents have. You don't own anything your friends have. But when you become the bride, you've got everything he's got. So, if there's no greater love, then would you be willing to agree with me that his love is maximum? So, his love is maximum, would you say, for all people? How about for you? How about for the worst person you've ever heard of? Yes. If you could take God's love and glue it to the ceiling, that would be a good picture of his love. It's stuck at the top. It can't come down. It doesn't move. It doesn't change. It's always the same. It's more reliable than the sun coming up every morning. So his love is always unconditional for everyone, even you. His love is always maximum for everyone, even you. His love is something that you can never be separated from when you are in Christ. Are you in Christ? All right. Now I can start preaching. We're going to look at the love chapter. 1 Corinthians 13, we're going to look at just five verses of Scripture. And then I'm going to have one more 
little scripture after that one, and that'll be the whole message. This is in the Amplified version of the Bible. And every time we see that word love, you know that's, that's the word agape. So I'm going to replace that word love with this phrase, God's kind of love, because that's what agape means. God's kind of love endures long. Aren't you glad? What if it didn't? That would be bad. But it endures long. How long? Forever. He will never stop loving you. He will never stop loving anyone, no matter what. Because he can't change. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is not a man that he should lie or change his mind. Amen? So his love endures long and forever endures, that means maybe there's something he might be having to put up with from us. Amen? Some, do we have to endure things sometimes? And his love endures us. God's kind of love is patient. Have you ever had a relationship where someone said, uh, you know, I love you. Oh, I just love you. Oh, I just love you. But if you don't do what I want, you don't do it right now, then I'm not going to love you anymore. I'm going to find somebody else to love. But guess what? God's not in a hurry. There's no time period at which his love is going to expire on. He's not going to reach a point where he says, well, okay, that's it. Time's up. Forget about it. Right? God's love is not like a basketball game where they, right, they, they hit the buzzer at the end and that's, that's the end of the game because you're out of time. Time doesn't run out on the clock on God's love. He never reaches that point where he says, okay, that's it. You see, when we become impatient, that means there's something we're trying to do, there's some place we're trying to get, there's something we're trying to accomplish, and something is blocking us, and we get frustrated, we get mad, and, and uh, you know, we become impatient, right? But when it comes to God's love, there's, there's no place you need to go. There's nothing that needs to get done. He just loves you. Some of you may have heard of a guy named Graham Cook, and he's, he's well known for saying this. He loves you because he loves you because he loves you. And that's how it works. You see, he doesn't need a reason. You know, when, when we really mess up, the devil comes and he says, see there, God can't love you now. Look what you did. He's a liar. Amen? So God's kind of love is patient. He's not trying to control you. He's not trying to make you do something. There's nothing that needs to get done. He just loves you, period. God's kind of love is kind. God's love has kindnesses built into it. Have you ever had maybe a friend to say, well, I love you, I love you, I love you, love you, love you, love you, love you, love you. And then finally one day you call him up and say, you know, I really need your help over here. Could you come over? Nope. 
Well, how about next week? Nope. Well, how about next month? Nope. Kindness is action. God wants to actually do something for you. And if he never does anything for you, has he done enough already? Yes. He went to the cross. But yet, that's never enough for him. As the Bible says, if, if he gave up his, his son for us, will he not also give us all things? He wants to do good things for us. It reminds me of my dad. Um, he passed away many years ago. But uh, when he would come over to my house, and we, you know, he lived down in Florida, and we live up here, and, you know, but before he would come up, he would get on the phone. He would say, do you have anything at your house that needs to get fixed or something wrong with your car? And he was always Mr. Fix-It, you know. He was, he was an engineer, and so he just had that kind of mindset of, you know, I want to make everything work. And so, you know, if I had a leaky faucet or there's a, uh, a, an electrical outlet that doesn't work anymore or something... You know, he would bring all the tools with him, and, and he would make it all right. And that, that was his way of expressing love. He wasn't a, you know, a mushy, gushy person, but he sure liked to fix things. And so God likes to show up in your life and do things for you that you need done. And uh, what a great picture of the Father to want to show up. You know, one of the names of the Holy Spirit is Helper. He likes to show up and help. And so, you know, how we become ashamed to even ask God for help, you know. Oh, I'm, I'm just bugging God. I won't even pray about that, you know. But he likes to help with little stuff. I mean, he'll, he'll give you the best parking place at Walmart. Right? So he's, he's a kind God. He wants to lavish kindness on us. He's lavish kindnesses on you this very day, but do we recognize it? Think about, did you, did you get a hot shower or a cold shower today? You know, there's just things that we take for granted that God is, you know, it's not all, everybody in the whole world gets a hot shower, do they? We're blessed, aren't we? We have a good God. All right. God's kind of love is never envious nor boils over with jealousy. Jealousy and envy. You've got something, and I want it. And uh, I need you to do what I want so I can feel good about me, right? I will put you under my thumb, and, and I want to control you and manipulate you and get you to do... Have you ever had a relationship with a jealous person? It's not good, is it? It's a, that's a bad day. But even in the Old Testament, God says, my name is Jealous. Wait a minute, so is God like that? No. You see, man's jealousy is about the man trying to get what he wants because he's afraid he's going to miss out on something. But God's jealousy is about God wanting to make sure that you get what he wants you to get. He wants to bless you. And sometimes when we turn and go our own way and do our own thing and we're off in the weeds someplace and we're not where God wants us to be in our lives, he gets jealous. And he wants us to come back so that he can bless us. Amen? So that's the exact opposite. God's kind of love is not boastful 
or vainglorious, does not display itself haughtily. And on the next slide it goes on, it says it is not conceited, it's not arrogant, it's not inflated with pride. In other words, God's kind of love is not one of those it's all about me kind of love. You ever had a friend that, or maybe a coworker or somebody in your life that they always made everything about them? Was that pleasant? Did that make you feel like you were a good friend to them? Like they valued you? They only valued you for what they could get out of you, right? But God's kind of love is not like that. God's kind of love is all about you. It's just all about you. Now, we need to make everything all about him, but his love for us is all about you. Think about it this way. Uh, there's, a, there's a fire. There's a house on fire. The fire truck shows up, and they hook up uh, the big hose to the tanker, and they turn on the water, and the water starts gushing out the end of that hose. Is there even one drop of that water that manages to turn around and swim upstream back up the hose. No, it's all going one direction. So when you think of God's love, think of the fire hose because it's all from his heart to your heart. One way. It's a selfless love. He's not trying to get anything out of it. He just loves you because what? He loves you because what? That's right. All right. God's kind of love does not act unmannerly. It does not act unbecomingly. You ever have anybody in your life that uh, they just throw a hissy fit, you know, and they, they, they say, I love you, but man, sometimes they really don't act like it, right? And uh, sometimes we're thinking, well, man, you know, maybe God is like that. If you experience, you know, really, uh, you know, bad things in, in your family life growing up, especially sometimes we can take those kind of things and we just project them right onto God and say, well, if, if that's just how things are with everybody, I guess God's, God's part of everybody, so I guess he's going to do that to me too. He's going to blow up and have a hissy fit. He's probably waiting me, for me to mess up, you know, so he can give me the baseball back, <laughs> right? But God is saying here, nope, that's not it. I don't care what you're experiencing with other people or how many times you've had that reinforced in your life over and over and over again. I'm here to tell you, he's not like that. He is the exact opposite of that. He's looking to bless you, not to mess you up. Next slide. God's kind of love in us does not insist on its own rights or its own way. For is not self-seeking. So there, there's the same thought again, isn't it? God is, sometimes, you know, he gets redundant in Scripture because he's trying to tell us something. Amen? Sometimes we need to hear something a few times before it finally penetrates our hard heads. We go, I, you know, I think God's trying to say that uh, his love is for me. Just because he loves me. And he's not trying to get something out of it. It is not self-seeking. He's not trying to get his own way. He just loves us, period. Whether we will ever acknowledge him, whether we ever do anything right, he just loves us. God's kind of love is not touchy or fretful. You ever been around anybody in your life that 
you felt like you had to walk on eggshells around that person. And, man, if you just look at them the wrong way, forget it, you know. Maybe it's, it's dad, and, you know, dad gets mad, and when dad gets mad, then everybody go run back to their bedroom, and they lock the door and hide under the bed. That actually happens in some households. And, and we pr- project that kind of stuff onto God and say, well, I guess God's up there with the baseball bat, and he's just waiting. I know he's angry because I know that I've messed up. I mess up all the time. I know, you know, and when something bad happens, you know, when you do something that you know is just not right, and the next thing you know, something bad happens, you try to connect the dots, and you say, I know why this is happening to me, because God hates my guts. I have lost favor with God. I've fallen from his graces. Now he's mad at me, and there's no hope for me. People actually believe that stuff, and it can kill you, literally. It can kill you dead. If you come into agreement with that kind of stuff, you may be a happy, clappy, wonderful, smiling Christian person at church today, but if you agree with that kind of stuff, you could end up in a permanent stay at the cemetery. That will kill you, literally. All right. God's kind of love is not resentful. That's the last word on the slide, resentful. And let's go ahead and go to the next slide because that same thought continues It takes no account of the evil done to it. It pays no attention to a suffered wrong. What is resentment? Well, that means something bad happened, and you didn't like it. And you can still remember what it was. And you're saying, man, I wish they hadn't done that to me. I wish they hadn't said that about me. I wish they hadn't stabbed me in the back. I wish they hadn't betrayed me. I wish they hadn't, you know, snitched on me, whatever it is. And we resent that. And so... We can be really good at keeping score. So you see somebody, you think they're great, they're your great friend, and, but you start keeping score on day one. And then a week later, a month later, a year later, you've been keeping score. Next thing you know, you don't even want to talk to that person. God is saying, I'm not keeping score when it comes to love. God knows the score. Oh, yes, he knows the score. He knows it better than we do. He knows every thought that we think. He knows every wrong motive we have in our heart. He can see it all, the good and the bad and the ugly, everything going on in the inside of us. But when it comes to his love, that's not part of the equation. Okay? It's not part of it. It's irrelevant. He doesn't pay any attention. Is that what it says? He doesn't pay attention to a suffered wrong. He takes no account of the evil. And believe me, every time we do something wrong, we're, we're sinning against God. He's the one that we're sinning against. He's the one we're rebelling against. But he, he says, my love is completely unfazed by that. I love you just as much no matter what. Think about the Apostle Paul. He used to, when he was called Saul of Tarsus, and he would round up Christians and have them put to death, instead of God saying, man, I need to zap that guy. Instead, he says, man, I need somebody like that on my side. That guy's near getting with the program. He's just on the wrong program. He needs to get on my program. So God was not offended by Paul. He says, man, this guy's great. 
even though he's rounding up Christians and having them put to their death. Even Paul said himself, I'm the worst. Right? That's why he said that. All right, next slide. God's kind of love does not rejoice at injustice and unrighteousness, but it rejoices when right and truth prevail. Again, you know, God's not sitting up there waiting for you to mess up so he can get you with the baseball bat. Instead, he's waiting for you to do something good so he can celebrate it. Do you see the word rejoice up there? Who's going to do that rejoicing? God. His love rejoices when we finally get it right. But he, he, he's not going to have a party when we get it wrong. Have you ever felt good when something bad happened to somebody who really deserved it? You have this little party in your heart. Yeah, they got what they deserve. But God doesn't do that. It breaks his heart. Even when the most rotten person ever has something bad done to them. Things don't turn out right for them. A little story. You know, there, there was a... I, was, I got a letter one time from an inmate at the uh, Henderson County Jail. She says, Dan, I loved your services at the Black Mountain Substance Abuse Treatment Center for Women. And all us girls over here in Hendersonville, we sure wish that you could come over here and preach the gospel to us. We love to have a Jesus party. And so I wrote her a letter back, and I said, well, who do I talk to? And so she wrote me another letter back. And she gave me the contact information for the chaplain. So I wrote him a letter. And next thing you know, my phone is ringing, and it's him. And next thing you know, before we get off the phone, he's offering me an all-Saturday morning service where I'm preaching the gospel to the entire facility. And, and some of you around here in the room went in there with me, like, like uh, Jim went in with me, and, and different people here went in with me there. And uh, Carolyn and, of course, Jennifer and uh, different ones. And we went in there and we, we sang songs about Jesus and we, we preached the gospel to each. It's like it's divided into five physical separate zones. And so we were there all, all morning doing five different services. And we were having hundreds of people get saved. And... Um, well, but the lady who wrote me the letter, she wasn't there because she'd already got moved into the prison system. Next thing you know, she's right over here at the Western Correctional Center for Women. And uh, I called her up to the front, and there's like 150 inmates in the chapel. And uh, I, I told everybody the story I just told you. While she's standing right here next to me at the front, and she burst into tears. And here's what she said. That's the only good thing I've ever done in my whole life. And she meant it. If you knew her story, you would know that probably really was the only good thing she's ever done in her life. But you see, God wasn't waiting for her to mess up. He was waiting for her to do something good. And he rejoiced over that, didn't he? So when you mess up, is God going to rejoice and say, well, man, now you're going to get it? Man, now something bad's going to happen to you? I can't wait. Make something bad happen to you. Is that, is that how God is? Is that how his love works? No. 
He's waiting for something good to happen. All right. Next slide. God's kind of love bears up under anything and everything that comes. You know, when they build a new bridge, do they just like open it up and, you know, open it up to traffic and have cars and trucks and all kind of stuff? No. They have to do something first before they can open it up. They have to do a stress test on the bridge to see if it will bear up under the, under the load. You know, just a couple years ago, there was a bridge down in Florida that it was brand new. They had just finished it, but they hadn't done the stress test with it, and the whole thing collapsed. God wants you to know that his love for you will never collapse, no matter what you do. I don't care if you're the most rotten person who ever lived. His love will bear up under anything and everything that comes. Amen? God's kind of love is ready to believe the very best of every person. You know, when we meet a new person, we might be, you know, given the benefit of the doubt, as they say, right? Well, they seem like a nice person. I think I like to get to know them. You know, let's go have lunch. You know, let's, uh, let's hang out, you know, whatever. And uh, next thing you know, it, it goes south. And next thing you know, you don't want to have anything to do with that person. You know, think about dogs. Some dogs are like this. Not all dogs are like this, but, you know, you, you walk in the door, and that dog jumps up, runs across the house, jumps all over you, tries to slobber all over your face, and the dog is going, oh, you're the best, you're the best, you're the best, you're the best, you're the best. You're the best. You know, and you've been at work all day fudging your sales numbers, telling lies about your coworkers so you can get the next promotion, cussing people out and shooting people, some kind of a thing they call a bird, all the way home in your car. cussing all day, just being nasty and dirty and underhanded, cheating on everything. And you come home, you open the door, and there's that dog. You're the best, 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 you're the best. The dog doesn't know any better. Well, God does know better. But he still says, you're the best, you're the best, you're the best, you're the best, you're the best. No matter what a complete mess up you are. Is that what it says? Am I making this up? Am I preaching the word to you, or am I just giving you some kind of feel-good stuff? Is this the word? Does God say that you're the best, even when everybody else says you're the worst? Even, you know, as we talked about Paul, he said, I'm the worst, but God says, no, you're not. You're the best. You're the best. You're the best. I can use you. Let's get with the program. All right the best wow not second best third best but the best does God think you're the best would you be just crazy enough to repeat after me and say God says I'm the best amen all right God's kind of love this is the next slide God's kind of love has hopes that are fadeless under all circumstances. What's a hope? H-O-P-E, hope. A hope. That means it hasn't happened yet, but it's guaranteed. 
it's locked in, it's baked in, it's going to happen. It's not like I hope I win the lottery and you didn't even buy a ticket. This is guaranteed. So, see, God has things for you that are guaranteed. It's going to happen, and so he's not going to give up. You know, we have a lot of families in this church that have little children, and, and they're so cute and adorable, and, uh, you know, we just we think the best of them, you know. Oh, wow, you know, little Susie, you know, she's, I bet one day she'll be a, a surgeon, or she's going to be an astronaut. She's going to be the president of the United States. She's, you know, she's going to do great things. Yeah. And then, you know, Susie gets a little older and starts hanging around with the wrong people, and she starts to smell like stuff that the other kids are smoking. And uh, she's, you know, she starts to show up, you know, crawl into her bed at 3 a.m. after being out with her friends. And, uh, you know, the police come around once in a while to check on her. And uh, you get called into the principal's office on a regular basis. Her grades have gone way down. And you're no longer thinking in terms of astronaut or president of the United States. You're just hoping that she doesn't end up in jail. Right? That's a different hope. The hope just changed. And then she ends up in jail. And you say, well, I, I hope she doesn't have to go to prison. Then she ends up there. Hope changed again. Well, I hope... Hope she uh, doesn't have a long sentence. Hope changes again. Well, I hope that maybe the governor will read her letter. You know, our hopes for people, for each other, can change a lot based on stuff that's happening, things that we can see happening. Does God change his hope for us based on anything in our lives, anything that we do, anything we mess up, anything we do, good or bad? No, his hope for us never changes. He still says you're the best. God's kind of love endures everything without weakening. Think of it this way. You're in the middle of the Sahara Desert in northern, right? That's the whole northern part of Africa. You're standing there, and in every direction, there's nothing but sand for thousands of miles. It's 127 degrees Fahrenheit outside, and the sun is shining, and it's beating down on you so hard, you feel like that's, that sun is just going to push you right into the sand. But your shoes are so hot, it feels like they're going to ignite. Man, that's a hot day. But... You reach in your pocket, you pull out a squirt gun, and it's loaded. And you point it at that gigantic blazing ball of fire in outer space, and you pull the trigger. Did you just now cool off the sun with your squirt gun? There's, there's a word for that. This, this is clinical psychology. The word is bonehead. Well, that would just be the dumbest thing ever. How brilliant 
are we if we think we can cool off the sun with a squirt gun? And yet, how brilliant are we when we think we can somehow change who God is with our own behavior? That's bonehead. We need to repent for bonehead. God, I'm sorry I was a bonehead. I thought I could change you. Which takes us to, well, I got one more slide here, um, part of that. God's kind of love never fails, never fades out, never becomes obsolete, and it never comes to an end. Never. Never means never. And then the last slide, 1 John 4, 8, but anyone who does not love does not know God for God is what? Love. He is love. So you see, if you think you can change God's love toward you, you think you can change God because he is the love that you think is changing. You can't change God. He's not going to be somebody different just because you messed up. You know, there's a whole world full of people out there that don't understand that God loves them. Guess who he's sending? You, right? You. As the Bible says, it is all from God. He has brought us back to himself through Christ's death on the cross, and he's given us the task of bringing others back to him through Christ. The world needs to know that, that God loves them with an unconditional love, a maximum love, a love that never changes. Amen? All right, close your eyes, bow your head. I'm going to pray for you. Holy Spirit, we ask you to just touch everyone right now, and we ask you to take the revelation that you've given to each person and just burn it into our minds that we never forget. Burn it into our hearts that we never stop living it. Burn it into every part of our being. Let us never, never forget. And let us always stay equipped with the knowledge of the revelation of the love of God. God, let us use your love like a weapon to take the devil's head off and to destroy the works of the devil. God, let us use your love to overcome this world. Equip us, empower us. We say yes, Lord, to the understanding, the revelation, the knowledge, and the power of your love. And Lord, right now I ask you to just lay your hand on each person's head. Even those who are listening to the podcast later on, let them feel your hand on their head. And I want you to impart, Father, your blessing. Lay your hand of blessing and impart fresh, brand new, powerful, first time ever, forever blessings on each person that they may prosper in all things and overcome all things. And Father, likewise, I ask you to lay your hand of favor upon every head and impart a fresh new download of favor 
the favor of God, the supernatural favor of the Father upon every person right now. Let them feel the favor of God, just as the woman with the issue of blood said, I, I felt myself being made clean. Let them feel the favor of God just soaking right into their bones. Let them feel the favor of God touching their minds and their hearts. And let them know that they know that they know that I have been in the presence of God today. And he has blessed me and he's given me his favor today. And I have more going out the door today than what I had when I came in. Thank you, God, for your blessing and your favor, the favor that opens doors for us, the favor that shows us that you are with us, the favor that uh, causes people to say yes when they were going to say no. Favor upon every person. God, we ask you, Lord, to give us a fresh anointing and the power of God to openly demonstrate that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Lord, let the power of your Holy Spirit so stir us on a daily basis Lord, that we will never look back and say, well, my life hasn't changed. We will always look back and say, wow, I am being changed from glory to glory on a daily basis. God, rev us up, get us stirred up in our spirit, fan our flames, Lord, and send us into this dark and broken world to let them know that there's an eternal life with Jesus waiting for them. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, be blessed and highly favored in Jesus' name. Everybody said Amen. Amen.